podcast. Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. And we are the Queer Arabs. I'm Saudi American and a lesbian. I'm bi, trans, Lebanese, and we are broadcasting here in America. Yeah, so we have a guest on, and her name is Maya, and she has this really cool project called The Gaysian Project. So, hey, thanks for coming on. Hi. It's like I never left. I know. (laughs) So we just (laughs) recorded a podcast episode on Maya's podcast, and then we went straight to this. This is just one long recording for us, and it's amazing. So go watch so her, for go, context. Go watch the episode <laughs> so like, of hers. Pause this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Pause this episode. Go listen to the Gaysian Project and then come back. Link or... will be on our website. <laughs> yeah. Introduce yourself and talk about... Why are you podcasting? Yeah. What made you start it? Um, hi, I'm Maya um, and I am the founder of the Gaysian Project and the host of the Gaysian Podcast. Uh, and it... I'm queer, I'm South Asian. Um, do I have any other identifiers? I you want to like throw to some pronouns about... in there? Oh yeah, she, her, hers. Um, I also like food a lot. Um, food is the best. Food is great. Uh, food is yeah, the reason I work uh, out. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, But yeah, I started the Gaysian Project uh, this year back in May, um, and it was born out of a panel on queer Asian representation that I developed and moderated for a convention called Clexicon. Um, And that panel was like incredible. It it was an experience that I was just not expecting at all. I don't even know what I was expecting, but um, it was the first time where I felt seen as queer and Asian in one breath without feeling the need to, you know, explain, yes, India is a part of Asia, or to have to, like, prove my queerness in some way. Um, And that was really, really powerful because I was on a panel with a bunch of different queer Asians who identified in different ways, like uh, both in different Asian ethnicities and gender identity and sexual orientation, and yeah. it was so cool to be able to be with these different, you know, these folks who are Asian and queer and just bond over some of the shared experiences and our, celebrate our differences. And then mm-hmm. also just create the sense of community. Um, and, yeah. and after that, it was that sense of community uh, that I really wanted to preserve and like figure out a way for it to live beyond just this one hour panel um, at right. this convention in Las Vegas. And I realized through this whole experience that the crux of all of that is visibility. Like if we aren't seeing ourselves as queer Asians or Asians at all, then how do we know that we exist? Like we do know we exist, right? Like on an intellectual level, there's like billions of us. But if we don't see ourselves in Western culture, especially then like, how do we know where we belong? Like, where's our community? Where's our space? Um, So that is kind of the whole reason for the Gaysian project. It's a way to create that sense of community and empower that community through queer Asian um, visibility. And that's inclusive of all Asian and Pacific Islander identities from like Eastern Asia, Southeast Asia, the Pacific Islands, all the way to the West Coast of Asia being the Middle East. West Coast, um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's, that's what it's really about. It's creating that visibility so we can 
see ourselves and and uplifting other people in the community who are already doing cool stuff like you two and and so we can create that community so we can create that like asian american queer asian american culture i love the project i love what you're doing because it's both a celebration of the uniqueness of all of the cultures within Asia, and then also celebrating the commonalities. And we often, um, as you have pointed out before to us on, on your podcast, we often are taught in this society that Asia equals Japan and China. You know, once in a while, the rest of East Asia will be acknowledged. And then every, like, once in a blue moon, maybe, like, South Asia and the Middle East will be acknowledged. But that's very rare. And, like, Pacific Islander. There's so much of Asia, even, like, a huge part of Russia. And, yeah, yeah, and there's so much that's just erased when people say the word Asia. I mean, who's ever heard of this place called Sri Lanka? Oh, Sri Lanka? Yeah. Yeah. Fully erased. (laughs) Whatever Um, happened to Tibet? We could go on and on. (laughs) Yeah, Asia is comprised of a wild number of cultures, languages. um, So much of it overlaps. So many similar dynamics within the family. Mm -hmm. The fact that many of the cultures within Asia are pretty much all that I can think of are very communal based and not the same individualistic societies that we see here in the U.S. or also, a lot of the West. Also an insane amount of history. Like, seriously. Yeah, it's I mean, amazing. We're always taught it from, like, sort of the Western perspective going East. Mm-hmm. You know, like, basically as Alexander the Great and all that stuff. But right. And it's effects on Europe, but we never hear it from the Asian perspective. We don't hear about, like the Indus Valley and the civilizations that grew out of that. We don't hear about the, uh, there's like, I can't, I can't even say the words right. It, like we don't hear about any of that history, like yeah. aside, yeah. aside from how it relates to the West before they were colonized. Right. Yeah. It's like the Silk Road. Yeah. And yeah. Mongols. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, we don't hear about anything else within those countries or like right like ellie you were taught you gave us a uh, a brief history on the french influence in uh lebanon on, on my podcast yeah and no one knows about that i i feel like there are very few people that actually knew that there is a significant french influence in lebanon mm-hmm. Well, and the Lebanese like, certainly know that, and like, <laughs> like there's there's like a specific subsect of journalists who are so in love with Lebanon, uh, yeah, <laughs> and who would know that. Those are the two two groups in the world who would know that. Yeah, and like Sounds that John that. Hamm movie about Beirut that came out last year or whatever. Oh yeah, did not see that. Still haven't seen that. We should. It was supposed to not be good. Oh, okay. We should. So, maybe we just we should heard... still go and. Or see it. We'll pirate it, I guess. <laughs> no. Don't admit the no, we should. <laughs> no, we should totally we should totally watch it. Um so no, you're so right though. Like yeah. the the Asia as a continent mm-hmm. is only talked or thought about in relation to the West or like what it has served the West as opposed yeah. to like recognizing the insane amount of history and like how many thousands of years old like all of these cult you know like yeah 
all of these cultures are like way older than the West, like significantly. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, the depth. Yeah. Okay, so we know about the podcast. Like we've been really focusing on the podcast of the Gaijin Project. I know there are more aspects to it. So can you talk about all the aspects of the project? Yeah. So um, I've always thought of the Gaijin Project as kind of a producing platform um, yeah. for queer Asian stuff uh, and queer Asian visibility. Uh, because I know that there are a ton of people within the community that are already doing really amazing work to empower mm -hmm. and uplift Asian Americans, queer Asians um, across the United States. Totally. But it's really hard to find that stuff if you don't already know what you're looking for. And yeah. even then, everything is very separate. New mm -hmm. York is very territorial over the stuff that they do, which is like, guys, like share it with <laughs> us. What is your... And so with the Gaijin Project, what I really wanted to do is highlight the things that individuals and groups are doing and show that like, yeah, yeah like this community exists. It is vibrant. We may be really yeah. separate from each other, but like, let's bring it together. Let's celebrate each other. And then also to, you yeah. know, showcase the simple fact that being Asian and being queer doesn't look like one thing. Well, one of the projects that we did this year was a photo series that was considering the way in which queer Asians want to be seen and seeing them as such. And it was really cool because the photographer um, that did it is like a really close friend of mine, Anne, who is a self-described uh, queer trans Jewess. Uh, who was a really cool lens. Like her gaze is not a queer Asian gaze, yet because she is outside of the community and seeing us as we want to be seen, there's this added level of kind of, um, you know, like we are, we're seeing, we're being seen as ourselves, you know, beyond just our own bubble. And I think that has been something that's a really powerful thought for me because in uplifting our community, I don't want it to be separated further. I want yeah. our community to be uplifted to a place where we are seen as dope and as cool and in all of our nuances and complexities. Mm -hmm. um, and most importantly, just as valid as any other, you know, western culture um or western you know uh like community uh so to have somebody from the outside looking at us as we want to be seen without that like exoticizing aspect or fetishizing yeah. us or tokenizing us um was really really fun um and then yeah that the podcast um I'm launching this series called Disorient that's just going to be ongoing, um, but it's a series of conversations that's focused on disrupting uh, the way in which Asians are viewed in Western societies. And along with that, I've met some really, really incredible artists. Uh, one of them is a choreographer in Chicago who's creating something um, that's considering the gay Asian male identity. Um, there's a playwright in Philadelphia who we're working with to create a radio play type thing um, that is accessible to people who don't just live in 
uh, Philly. So it's this kind of like, it, it's messing with the borders of what is traditionally considered um, theater and, and using that as a way to comment and explore queer Asian-ness. Um, and also my favorite people in the world, uh, well, some of my favorite people in the world uh, are this uh, group of activists in India, in Bangalore, India, called the Aravani Art Project. And they uh, use art. They do like um, public murals in Bangalore uh, with, as a way to educate the public and also kind of uplift the trans community in Bangalore. So the, the community is all, um, or the collective is made up of like all of these trans women from Bangalore who are so awesome. Um, I got to meet with them when they were in San Francisco earlier this year. And yeah, they, they use art as a way, art as activism essentially, like as a therapeutic form for these women to just like paint uh, and contribute to society and also as a way to like show that, you know, like trans women are not these really shitty stereotypes that are placed upon them yeah. and that like, it, it's really, really cool. So uh, we're going to be doing a set of prints with them that we're going to sell on the web shop and uh, yeah. a portion of the proceeds are going to go back to the Aravani Art Project. And it's a cool way for people to get to support them and see the work that they're doing and also kind of like own a piece of it and, and have like this cool piece Ooh. of art with them. But yeah, so like a, a ton of really cool stuff with these amazing, like people are doing such really cool things. Um, and my hope with the Gaijin project and then the conversation on the Gaijin podcast is to shed more light on that and help people like how I was feeling just last year, uh, feel a little less alone in that intersection of queerness and cultural ethnic identity. Oh my god, that group sounds incredible. I'm so excited yeah. to hear about that. I'm they just... did a, I did a podcast with them uh, earlier this year, so ah, go check them out. I so definitely that. will. Oh, they sound incredible. And I love how like um, it's about the identity of the artist and maybe not all of the art necessarily has to reflect the identity of the artist, but just who the artist is, is so powerful in itself. Like it, yeah. regardless of what the piece is or what it's about or whatever. So that's, that's so cool. Um, I'm just in favor of any sort of trans narrative that isn't basically suffering porn at this point. Just saying. Oh, they're, okay, so Aravani Art Project is dope. I love them so much. Uh, one of the women in the group, Priyanka, uh, she has her own, so she has like a radio show in Bangalore. Ooh. Holy shit, she has an amazing radio voice. I like could not, like every time she started talking, I was like, wait, are you the Indian Terry Gross? Because you have, it was just like, these are the dulcet tones of Priyanka. And I was like, what is happening? I sound like this like dumbass, like Californian from the Valley. And every time Priyanka talks. <laughs> But they're amazing. Oh, sounds incredible. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm totally going to listen to that. Um, it sounds like you, you know, something similar with us. We felt like that intersection, we needed to find a way to talk about the intersection between our queerness and our, you know, cultural background and 
whatever. Um, so can you give some examples of when you have felt you've had to separate the two? They've had to be kind of compartmentalized. I kind of grew up thinking that like being Indian or coming from like an Indian culture is like inherently coming from a very conservative culture and that like I just need to keep my head down like become a doctor like be really good at you know like follow that familiar yeah and so that's what I thought it was but I was always confused growing up because my parents are amazing people and they're also very very westernized um definitely that's by virtue of the fact that they come from a like higher class family in india so like the british influence is much more like present in that um and so like yeah like i constantly forget that my parents are like immigrants like they came to this country like 30 years ago because they have a very different view of things and i'm also so grateful for that because i never felt pressured into following some kind of like you know this whatever conservative indian narrative that i was taught embraces all of us Mm -hmm. um but that being said i was also like i also grew up in this tiny conservative small town in northern california called redding which i love so much i'm really love the town Uh but it was also like predominantly white and um it went red in the past election so i'm so sorry yeah it sucks but it was like it was growing up in that atmosphere like you know surrounded by whiteness surrounded by like conservative uh american ideals where i felt this pressure to like conform into what people thought i should be so i had this like idea that oh okay like i'm indian so like i can't be indian and queer at the same time or if i'm going to be indian like before i was understanding what my queerness was um it had to be this like acceptable palatable version of being indian so i fully played up like the exotic aspect of that like Mm -hmm. i would always like you know talk about like oh my god we have such great food let me tell you about like indian food or like let me tell you about chai um or just like different ways to make myself like the butt of the joke or like you know this exotic cool thing before anybody else could so that i could fit in further uh with whatever that group may be and not you know be ostracized it was like a way for you to take control of the situation before someone else could yeah makes sense but like and then you know like when i got to high school and like in ap euro when we're learning about india i'm just kind of like oh like my queerness and indianness can't coexist because of like Mm -hmm. you know all the things that i was hearing mainly because of colonialism right because of like Mm -hmm. the british rule like all of those ideals were so like over 200 years of course they like seep into indian culture and so i was like okay like i can't be indian and i can't be queer like at the same time like what am i um but you know like recently i've started to realize that that's so untrue that like as i've become older and like have been on my own without like you know being an undergrad or living with my parents um and like really trying to navigate like who i am like what am i um Mm -hmm. 
I have been wanting to, you know, I've been drifting closer to like being Indian and to that culture is like, because that's like what makes me who I am. And that has always been like a huge part of my life, no matter what like gymnastics I had to do to like fit into the small town life. But like the more that I've like really looked back into like Indian culture and especially Hinduism, because like I was raised Hindu in like that cultural way. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I realized that like it's so queer like our culture and hinduism is just like inherently very very queer like all of the gods are fucking with gender and sexuality like yeah. constantly. like nobody gives a shit about like these western notions of what femininity and masculinity are or what like heterosexuality is and and there isn't there wasn't a lot of pressure on categorizing pleasure or like shaming certain people for having pleasure or seeking out pleasure and that has been so empowering to like realize that and to kind of revisit indian like my indianness um from that framework and be like oh yeah like a hundred percent the brits fucked everything up for i mean like mm -hmm. on so many levels um yeah and so especially because they brought victorian brit ideals yeah which so, okay Part of it is okay like as a side note part of like so i said like my family is like definitely into like the british culture um mm -hmm. in india my grandfather like full anglophiles like there's a horse race in our hometown that's named after my grandfather and it's the most absurd thing and i'm obsessed with it because i'm just like uh -huh, a horse race we can go to tea to the club it's like great between a Every round of cricket yeah exactly Everything else is awful, so. <laughs> well, it's good. It's good there's, like, yeah, the positive nostalgia aspects. Like, yeah. you can still celebrate, but, but yeah, you still acknowledge um, the, sh the bullshit that came with the colonization. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so... You know, not that colonization comes with any baggage at all. Never. No, Never. At all. No. no. It's like they didn't but... come suitcases they're just like we're gonna dip our toes here yeah so yeah. like when you were figuring all this out though um like how did you sort it out like the way i processed it was like when i was younger and living with my parents i did the double life thing i basically went out was gay at night in houston you know did the queer thing presented as female you know but when i came home you know come home sunday morning get dressed relatively gender neutrally go go to my grandmother's house, see all my cousins and aunts and uncles and my grandparents. And then, oh, I have get, I've got a date with this really cute girl or cute guy and very nicely segregated out. Never, the two sides she'll never meet. How did, but how did you deal with that? So I, again, my parents are like incredible and growing up, when I started to realize that, you know, there was something queer about me, um, I had this moment where I like, I basically had this like realization while I was in some math tutoring session at the Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> of course. And I like freaked the fuck out and I was like, hold on, be right back, I'm going to the bathroom. And like, this is when I had like, it was like an emergency phone. And like, this was like at the beginning of like when texting was like a way of communicating essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and so I like had texted my mom and I was like, would you still love me if I was gay? 
Um, and she was just like, go back. You should, I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was something to, along the lines of like, yeah, but like, you should be in tutoring, like go back to tutoring. <laughs> and, like for me, it was always this thing of my fear of coming out or acknowledging my queerness or, you know, navigating that whole thing was so much of like an internal fear of like naming of naming it and like being even more other like I didn't want to yeah. be different right like and and so that was so much of my fear um as opposed to fearing my parents yeah because a part of me like always knew that they would support like I I knew that they would still support me but yeah. for my own self like I I just like didn't even talk you know I was just like I don't I'm not ready to deal with this and the way that I like kind of put it in my head was like I am going to come out to my parents when I have a job and a career so that they will see that mm -hmm. my queerness doesn't define me and I can still be really successful uh how'd that work out didn't really like things didn't happen like in that way uh yeah. like I I mean I didn't have to deal with the segregating my life out because I just was a Asian nerd who just went to school and then went to, I played golf growing up. Um, like I would go to practice, like it was either school or practice. And then I was at home. Like I didn't really have a life until yeah. I got to college. Um, but then again, in college, I was not really doing a lot of like um, romantic life stuff. Like I was kind of a slut freshman year, but of course yeah. like, I was, like uh, alcohol and stuff like that but um like still even in like ellie you had kind of talked about this on like when we did it on the gaysian podcast about how for queer folks like our like romantic like the way that we mature is so delayed because there's a lot of hiding involved with it and so for me when i got to college it's like i didn't have so many of those like fun like adventures that I always hear about because I still like did not understand what like dating was or what you know being sexual was like all of my frame of reference were like tv shows and none of those fully represented me so when I was trying to imitate that it always felt wrong and I was like what the fuck I'm just gonna go back to doing homework and playing golf which is like what happened yeah um and then, like, some, like a year and a half after that, I started dating somebody, and that was when I, like, really, I was always really in touch with my queerness in terms of, like, queerness as a cultural identity. It's like, I understood that. Like, I was very proud of being queer. Like, I understood that fully, but I never, like, had the chance to fully explore it um like on a sexual identity or like a romantic level till um like a few years later and it was in that moment where i kind of like felt like oh yeah like i can come out to like my my mom like my yeah. my girlfriend at the time and i were going through like a rough patch and i was like fuck like i don't know who i can talk to other than my mom like i need to talk to my mom um yeah. and that's like so i like called her and i was like mom this like thing is happening but I also need to tell you this other thing before I get into this thing so like first things first I'm like queer and then also like this other stuff is happening so how long did you have to explain queer to her for 
Well, at the time I was identifying as bi. Um, and so yeah. I, it, that's what I said. And she was like, oh, like, I want you to feel, I don't want you to feel like you have to be so okay with everybody else and not with yourself. And I was like, stop. <laughs> like, what? That's so, like, mom. Um, Your mom is too good for this world. I know. Really too good for this world. Too wholesome. Uh, but yeah. And I mean, now I identify as queer because I like the fluidity that that label allows for me, both in terms of like, sexual orientation and for me like gender presentation like that's you know it's like it there's just like so much room for like fluidity um that I love but yeah definitely yeah so I I'm grateful I don't know grateful I I didn't really have like to segment it out I had like a weird kind of internal struggle I think yeah and, trying to figure out what queerness was it makes sense there like you said there's just not enough representation growing up uh giving us a model of like what it means to have that intersection and um yeah and the, it makes sense and, but, and the models we do get are completely fucking useless l word also yeah. all romantic comedies are toxic relationships mm -hmm. thank you all romantic comedies like, come on like, we're all so fucked up in the way that we think about relationships because of the rom-com right. genre. Can we just spend, like, the next 40 minutes hating on romantic comedies and how <laughs> shitty they are? Yes. Honestly, like, they're fine if you're aware of how shitty they are. Like, yeah. they're fun if you're, like, aware of, like, the shitty tropes. But then if you're not and, you're, and you try to, like, imitate something from a romantic comedy in a real relationship, it's like, we know that's, like, full-on stalking. Like, stop. I feel, yes. I feel like rom-coms are to actual relationships as is porn to actual sex. Oh, well, yeah. Mm -hmm. So basically rom-coms are sex porn? Or not sex porn. So rom-coms are relationship porn. Yes. Yeah. There you but go. But like worse because it's like emotional manipulation. This whole, yeah, the whole structure of, oh, the guy pursuing the girl and following her. And, and like, she has to defend her virtue. Oh and my God. And or, it's like if she denies or if you, you playing hard to get is a thing and it's like no I blame Taming of the Shrew fuck you Shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> I like that fuck you Shakespeare so so many movies depict it's fate uh, so I have to do everything I can to make it happen so even if the woman runs steers clear of me no I'm gonna run after her I'm gonna chase her I'm gonna track her down I'm until going... she gives up and she relents and yeah. I'm going to do obnoxious things like play loud music outside of her window at four in the morning right yeah. and... and like toxic monogamy right uh... like mm -hmm. not all you know like monogamy is not like a perfect format for Every, you know like a perfect relationship format for everyone and that's okay yeah but like it's shown that it is the only way true and it's that's like not great you know <laughs> i think the world is ready for a poly rom-com just saying yeah i'm trying to think if there's been I know. any depiction like in the indie sphere i can't but, think i can't of... think of any this is why i'm like it's it's time huh. I was re-watching the Twilight series a couple weeks ago. Oh. I don't know. It was hilarious. Those movies are a mess. And also, they are. Kristen Stewart. 
Um, but <laughs> I, I was watching and I was like, holy shit, this mo- like everybody would be so much happier if she was just with like in a polyamorous relationship with Edward and and like, uh, Jacob. Jacob. Yeah. Because they both clearly, right. like, it's like one love is not more valid than the, uh, like that, it, it was like putting love or and desire on like a hierarchical playing field that is not, one person is basically, one person is not going to be able to like give you everything you need in life. Yeah, yeah. And like some people, yeah, some people do well with monogamy. Some people don't and like having just one format shown to you your whole life it's damaging it's 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 maddening it's because you try to fit yourself into this fucking mold and like not everyone works in it you know Mm -hmm. so i'm just saying you know queer writers especially queer writers as a couple please write some rom-coms that you know make sense for us and if you're poly please write a fucking rom-com queer writers what Queer writers, please go get writing oh. a rom-com or, like, polyamorous rom-com. I would well, love to see that shit. There's, um, oh god, now I can't remember her name, but... Quick, cheat and Google it. <laughs> oh, oh, I can Google it. <laughs> <laughs> an idiot! I'm on my computer. Wait, hold on. It's um, not like you have the sum total knowledge of humanity at your fingertips. <laughs> holiday rom- okay. Holiday rom- yeah, I'm trying to think. You're right. Like, there is nothing out there. Like, the only time I see, like, poly relationships even, like, remotely discussed, it's always in this super creepy way where, like, the couple or the male propositions the third. Yeah. And there's always this huge mm-hmm. power differential. Or it's for money. Or it's, yeah. like... Or you'll see, like, orgy-type things, like in uh, or the movie I, Short Bus. Or Eyes Wide Shut. But... It, yeah. It's not about a poly relationship. It's like it's all about power dynamics sex. and sex. True. Yes. So this movie that I was thinking of, it, it was announced very recently. It's called Happiest Season, and it's written by Clea Duvall. Um, <gasps> She's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Queer writer and director for this movie. She's directing this movie too, and it's starring Kristen Stewart. What? So real, and it's a holiday movie. No. It's like literally just like queer shit in christmas what queer queers yeah wait what's it called can you repeat the name happiest season wait is this is this on netflix no 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 so it's going to come out next year and it's kind of like writing so kristen stewart is going is in the new uh charlie's angels reboot Uh... which sony is doing and so uh i think Whatever the sub, there's this uh, indie subsidiary of Sony that is producing Happiest Season with Kristen Stewart. It's gonna be a queer Christmas comedy, and it's gonna be great. Whoa! Okay, I'm really excited about this. Ah. I am cautiously excited about this. Hey, it's something. And it's a queer writer and director. So yeah, like I said, cautiously excited. Is it because of the Kristen Stewart aspect? No, it's more like being the indie studio, which is owned by a larger studio. Yeah. Okay. Well, I distrust. I distrust corporate ownership and power structures. Fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, Ellie, take your communism elsewhere. No, it's just like Ellie. This is a good Let thing. us have one thing, Allie. Yeah, let us have one thing. Why do you have to take this away? <laughs> Party pooper. 
<laughs> I'm just gonna go pet this cat now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I I just I I agree that representation is so important and yeah and also like um yeah the monogamy aspect is always shown and this heterosexual cis white perspective is usually what's on the spotlight and absolutely yeah so other people of other demographics out other than that like have to pretty much figure out everything on their own yeah and figure out am i worthy of this thing that i keep seeing and is this thing even for me because it's all these white people who are showing up as or like do i belong in this space yes be myself in yeah. this space yeah awesome um i just yeah i love i really love that this is being taught like i mean even us like talking about this stuff it's we just need to talk about it yeah um, no, I agree. yeah um so can you give some examples of uh podcast guests that you've had on the gaijin podcast who's the coolest one aside from us ops but obviously you guys. yeah uh so i the one that was like personally really great for me was with the arvani art project uh yeah because it was getting to talk to talk to and i mean like i just hung out with them for, for an entire day which was really fun but uh yeah queer folks from india and i had had no contact or like context or even any knowledge of what being queer in India was or like the queer community in India. Um, and so to have that added level of connection to the motherland um, was really, really powerful and like further emphasize that being queer and being Indian aren't like mutually exclusive. Uh, yeah. So it was really, really awesome to get to speak with them and like hear about their experiences. Um, because it's, I mean, their lens is so different from my American lens. Um, yeah. But yeah, they were they were really awesome. Um, we just did our recent episode was with Hank Chen, who's an actor and was in Life Size Two with Tyra Banks. He is awesome. Um, he's an actor and he's a stand-up comic, and we talked about representation. And it's yeah. cool to talk to somebody who is representing, you know, the community and like what is it like to grow up without a lot of Asian representation and then also now be on the other side of the camera doing some representing yourself. Yeah. Uh, so it's really cool. I saw you, I saw that on Twitter and I got excited. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to listen. Yeah. yeah. He's super fun. I'm trying to think of who else we had. Uh, we did like a whole episode on Crazy Rich Asians uh, a while ago, which was... I, I'm so going to listen to that. I read all the books, saw the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It was with uh, myself, uh, Andy, who is like my co-founder and like producer. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Nathan Ramos, who is a writer. He actually did the reboot of the Mickey Mouse Club uh, recently. Whoa like really awesome play uh in LA called As We Babylon that was all about like queer Asianness which with a bunch of different types of Asian which was really cool. cool um and he was like a cape writer so he's amazing and I adore him deeply 
but that episode was literally just the three of us having a therapy session over like crazy rich Asians. that's amazing reacting to it um yeah it's really cool and then some folks from um like asian film festivals uh neha ghosh who's a bengali uh non-binary activist based in philadelphia uh they co-founded this group called cunify philadelphia that just creates spaces for queers and queer pos uh they're really awesome and it was awesome talking to another queer south asian person yeah um, yeah i love yeah. it and like a really cool oh uh ellie you were talking about f- toxic fandoms and like the weirdness of nerd culture um one of the other like founding members of the gaijin project uh is nicole espinoza and they're a scholar feminist activist filipina uh in based in las vegas Uh, And they are at the University of Las Vegas right now doing a lot of study on queer fandoms. So, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I'm scheduling an episode with her at some point. She's in like finals right now, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I know. That sucks. (laughs) But to talk about queer fandoms, because she's done like a lot of research on it. And it's such like an interesting subculture of fandom. Yeah. Um, where there's a lot of entitlement and ownership over certain characters and storylines by virtue of the fact that they are the only things that we have, right? Like You will love that episode, Ellie. Uh, I mean, I will too. Oh my God. It, I, I, hope she, I hope she mentions Felix at all. Felix. I, okay. Uh, character from... Oh, wait, from Orphan Black. No, no, no. Right? Uh, the, tra- the basically trans character from ReZero. I don't know that. Nope. There was also a trans character named Felix in Orphan Black that was not. Oh, I did not see Orphan Black. I now need I to, to watch... watch the rest of the show. Yeah. Wait, to... are, wait, wait. Are you talking about the anime or the Yas Whedon thing? The live. Uh, either. Like the there's a there's Orphan one Black on a, like a BBC Canada show. Yeah. With Tatiana Mox. I'll show you. There's too many of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'll show there's, you. There's You'll Orphan like Black, it, yeah. the anime. There's the... Okay. Then there's... Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Nicole is great. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's an upcoming one. And then Yay. author C.B. Lee, who she's mm-hmm. written a series of books called Not Your Sidekick. Um, and cool. it's all about like queer Asian superheroes, essentially. And CB is amazing. She put on this awesome panel earlier this year in uh, LA about celebrating the queer Asian American experience. Um, and I'm really excited because we're working together to do like more events like that. Uh, but also books about queer Asian superheroes. Amazing. Yeah. Like can't, yeah. can't argue with that. Absolutely. So where can people find the podcast and like, keep in touch with you, follow you, gently stalk you. Um, So you can find the Gaijin Project. So like the Gaijin podcast is just under all Gaijin Project stuff. Yeah. Very confusing once you start saying it very fast. Uh, (laughs) But you can find us on Instagram at the Gaijin Project. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, we are not the same on Twitter because somebody took the the away from us. So we're on Twitter at gaijin project okay 
Um, and then you can find the podcast, which is the Gaijin Podcast, on iTunes and Spotify. Um, and we're on Facebook. Uh, there's a Facebook group for the podcast. If you want to join that, nobody Ooh. has. But like, join it, and we can talk about things that like you listen to on the podcast, like what you'd want to oh. hear on it. We can talk about gay, gay and trans characters named Felix. <laughs> yes. Yeah, apparently there are multiple, uh, <laughs> which is really surprising, I would say. I know. That's pretty cool. Uh, Felix is a great name. Yeah. I, 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 like, I like this. Um, <laughs> and everyone, you can find us at the Queer Arabs dot com we're on instagram twitter and facebook at the queer arabs you can email us at the queer arabs at gmail.com and for the arabic side of the podcast you can email the queer arabs in arabic at gmail.com and that's ahmed who leads the arabic side of the podcast he's amazing if you speak arabic understand arabic check out that part of the podcast it's all on itunes all on the same feed um so yeah Thank you, Maya, so much for coming on. You're you are so much fun. Yes, thank you for time. thank you for completing our stalker exchange. Yes, yes, of course. I love this podcast marathon. It me too. So yeah, we've just been talking. Let's see, we've three been hours. talking for three hours, and it's felt like so effortless. I think that hasn't felt like three hours. At no, all. it's felt so effortless, comfortable with like so comfortable with each other, and it's even more crazy. We started on time for once. Yeah, we actually, I know. Yeah. Early though, I was like, "Oh wait, they're already here. I need to like get my." Is that weird? We were, yeah, we like actually were a okay. few minutes early. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, thank you so much for having me. I'm like thank so you. thrilled to me too this with you, and hopefully do more stuff. Yeah, we 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 need to keep in touch. I I know cool. that I I bet there's gonna be some cool collaboration stuff. I just yeah, I feel and then we're. It. Oh yeah, and we're um, so the Gaijin project is launching Disorient this week, uh, and so mm-hmm. along with uh, these two podcasts uh, launching it, um, we're also doing a limited run of T-shirts, uh, like long sleeve shirts awesome. on the front. Um, so those will launch on Friday. So keep an eye out for those. Uh, they're super limited edition, but there will probably be more made if you can't get your hands on them this time, but hopefully they're just another way to keep the conversation going on, you know, Asian isn't just one thing and we are not, we don't just exist in relation to the the West. Yeah. I love that so much. Oh, I'm excited. Anyway. um, Yeah. Let's definitely keep in touch. This has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks Um, listeners. 